We're nearing the end of our message series on Joshua. We have uh, today's message and next week's message as well. Um, it's pretty sad. It's kind of sad to get to the end of Joshua. I've really kind of enjoyed um, the way that we've journeyed through Joshua, which has been unique for me. I normally read the entire book or sections of the book in large sections through scriptures, but we've kind of um, spotted around in Joshua as we've studied specifically the themes that we see in Joshua, looking forward to and looking uh, kind of foreshadowing what Joshua shows us about Jesus. And uh, the reason that that's so important is because we're about to enter into a season where we are supposed to be celebrating Jesus Christ. And it helps us through a, an Old Testament um, uh, illustration of Jesus in the life of Joshua. It helps us to see what we can expect and what we can hope for in Jesus Christ. As we've looked through the book of Joshua and some of those themes, we've, we've um, we studied about God's land, the, the land that was a huge theme in Joshua, the inheritance, that God keeps his promises, that he maintains his covenants with his people, and that there's an expectation of his people to also maintain their covenant with him. We recognize that we, have to, um, that we have to be obedient, that just as Joshua and the people of Israel were called to be obedient to God, we too are called to be obedient to God. We also recognize that Last week, that there is a, um, a spirit of holiness, a sense of holiness that is a theme throughout Joshua. And it was like it was perfect that we sing those songs that we did this morning. We recognize that we are in the midst of, in the presence of, a holy God. This week, we're going to be looking at the theme of godly leadership and how that's a prominent theme in the book of Joshua, specifically surrounding Joshua himself. That we get a we get a, a very a specific definition, a specific illustration of godly leadership in the person of Joshua. Now, I'm sure that you recognize we are, uh, have no, um, no shortage of examples of ungodly leadership today. Would you agree? I mean, it, it, you just you don't have to look very far, and I'm not, and yeah, I mean, you can look into the secular, uh, the worldly leadership that we have and go, man, that's ungodly. But the what may, hurts my heart even more is whenever I look within the church and I see ungodly leadership. That that's what that's what just pains me to to note. I mean, to to, to no degree. That, that there is ungodly, unholy, unrighteous leadership within, within the church. And not just within, not within this church specifically, but within the church universal, within, within Christ's body. In fact, I, I subscribe um, to, a, to a website and to a, a kind of a, a weekly email called Ministry Watch. Have you guys ever heard of Ministry Watch? And I get these emails pretty regularly, and, and it's kind of, um, you know, it's kind of the bad news bears of everything that happens uh, in churches across the world or in, 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 and across, specifically across church leaders. And as you read this, it's easy to go, oh my goodness, are there any, you know, are there any good leaders? I mean, I feel like, you know, that that song from Footloose, I need a hero, I just need some, we need somebody that's going to get, you know, give us some godly leadership. And we, we read about over and over again these, these um, towering figures in our faith 
that continue to fall like dominoes over and over again. Ravi Zacharias, Bill Hybels, um, you know, Mark Driscoll. We see, these, we see these leaders that continue to fail us, that continue to show ungodly characteristics while they're supposed to be showing us a godly example of how to follow our Lord. Well, fortunately... We have an example, which I believe an Old Testament example, specifically in Joshua on what godly leadership should look like. We recognize that there are some specific attributes, some specific traits that come in a godly leader that we should look for whenever we, are, whenever we define someone as a godly leader. There are some specific characteristics that we should know that that person should hold. And I kind of um, I, I created a definition, and this is Jeff's de- definition of what a godly leader should look like, specifically using Joshua, and then, of course, uh, foreshadowing our Savior Jesus Christ as a godly leader. And that definition is like this. Godly leaders, they minimize their own position of authority while personally submitting wholly to God and amplifying His soul-sovereign authority in all things. So a godly leader suppresses his authority, suppresses his leadership while amplifying God's leadership. In other words, a godly leader takes the spotlight off himself, steps aside, and he says, hey, this is your leader. That's what godly leaders do. And in in short, if you want the short form, if you're a shorthand type of person, I'll make it easy for you. Godly leadership equals humility, submission, and obedience. Godly leadership equals humility plus submission plus obedience. Joshua had to be humble. Humility was a trait that he must have. And here's the perfect example. Look what he had to follow. Joshua followed the prophet with a capital P, the man of God, who saw God face to face. In fact, this is how Moses himself was described in Deuteronomy. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses. Can you imagine Joshua reading that? Who am I? Look at me. I'm I'm leading God's people. And he's reading Deuteronomy and he's reading Moses' words. And he goes, but there's no prophet that's arisen in Israel like Moses. Could you imagine? You're always going to be second best. He has to be humble. The Lord knew him, Moses, face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all of his officials, and to all of his land, and for the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. In fact, to make matters worse, or I guess to add insult to injury, if you want to call it, or to to humiliate or make Joshua even more humble, Over and over and over again, in fact, 18 times total in the Old Testament, Moses is called the servant of the Lord. 14 of those 18 times is in the book of Joshua. That Moses is constantly referred to as the servant of the Lord. And you know what Joshua is referred to at constantly? Moses' assistant. I mean, you've, you've got to be humble to continue to lead with a title of, yeah, I'm just the assistant. I'm just the second hand. I'm just the second in charge. I'm one under the main 
dude, the head honcho. In fact, it wasn't until the very end of the book of Joshua, and truthfully, the end of his life, that Joshua was actually described as the Lord's servant. Oh my goodness, could you imagine the humility that Joshua had to have to lead with that hovering over his head his entire reign, his entire campaign as leader? Moses, every time they talked about Moses, Moses, the Lord's servant, Moses, the Lord's servant, Moses, the Lord's servant, Moses, the Lord's servant. I can imagine Joshua's probably getting tired of hearing that. Joshua, Moses' assistant, Joshua, Moses' assistant. But then the Lord was able and was willing to also heap that same recognition to Joshua. But it wasn't until Joshua's death that he called Joshua the Lord's servant. That's humility. And he did all of the things that he did recognizing his submission to the Lord, his understudy of the Lord's servant, Moses. But Joshua's submission and obedience goes much further than that. And he exhorts all of the people that he's leading. In the midst of his humble reign, in the midst of his humble leadership, he continues to exhort his people to submit and be obedient to the Lord. We read in Joshua 24, he says, and this is the famous statement, we've read this, we've had this, most of us probably have this written somewhere in our home. Choose for yourself today which you will worship. It says in verse 15, either the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates, beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites of those lands you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. Joshua is showing his submission, his obedience to God. And not only is he showing that he's willing to submit and be obedient to God, he's also exhorting his others around him to submit and be obedient to God. Joshua's, Joshua's obedience in conquering and dividing the land and doing as God asked him to do, as God had commanded. Joshua verse, chapter 11, verse 23. So Joshua took the entire land in keeping with all that the Lord had told, there he is again, Moses, then Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. After this, the land had rest from war. But it wasn't just the fact that Joshua obeyed what God had told him through Moses. It wasn't just the fact that he had conquered all the land and divided up the allotment. In fact, he was so obedient, so submissive to the Lord that he wouldn't even divide the land without asking God's permission, without asking God's discernment. In fact, we read about that in Joshua 18. It says that Joshua cast lots for the, for the men at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord where he distributed the land to the Israelites according to their divisions. In fact, these people, these men of, of, of Israel, these tribes came to Joshua. They brought the survey of the land. And what does Joshua do? He does doesn't just give the land out according to his wisdom and his discernment. He steps back and he goes, well, God has a preference in this. I'm going to submit to him and his wisdom. So I'm going to cast lots, which is kind of a biblical form of gambling. I'm just kidding. It's not. But it was a way that, 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 that submissive, obedient people had to seek the Lord's permission, to seek the Lord's wisdom and discernment. Because on whatever that method was of casting lots, rolling the dice, rolling the bones, whatever you want to call it, there was an expectation that God in His divine authority could arrange 
could arrange the outcome however he wanted. And that's what Joshua did. He submitted to God's authority. He submitted to God's, God's preference, to God's wisdom in all things. And he had exhorted the people to also do the same thing, to submit and obey. To submit and obey to the law of Moses. The recognition that, that God had spoken his truths, that God had spoken his values, everything that he expected of the people, he had spoken this to the law of Moses, and he told the people, look, just as I have followed this law, so you shall also. Be very strong, Joshua said, and continue obeying all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you do not turn from it from the, light, from the right or to the left. We read over and over again that Joshua continues to turn back to the law of Moses, that he writes that law down in the presence of all of Israel, that he keeps it close to him, that he, that he keeps it where he can view it and read it and stay obedient to it, stay submissive to it. He recognizes that being submissive, that being obedient, that being humble in the sight of the Lord was making him a godly leader. But there was one thing that Joshua did that I believe, first and foremost, pointed him out, separated him out as a godly leader above all things. In fact, it was not something that Joshua did. It was actually something that Joshua didn't do. And I'll be honest with you, there are a lot of theologians that disagree with me, and that's okay. But I think that you'll understand that what Joshua didn't do pointed him out not only as a godly leader, but also pointed him towards Jesus' attributes as a godly leader as well. You see, what it is that Joshua did not do at the end of his life, at the end of his reign, was he did not appoint a successor. He didn't leave the people with anyone else to follow. Now, over and over again, I guarantee you, if you read any commentary, there's going to be some theologian that's going to, that's going to recount that, that that was an issue, that was a downfall, that was a shortcoming of Joshua. Here's some of the quotes. Had there been a godly leader in place like Joshua come the end of Joshua's life, the situation come judges would have certainly been different and it wouldn't have deteriorated to the degree that it did. That's one quote. Second one, if Israel had taken a king in its place, leading as a godly king should, like God had told them in Deuteronomy chapter 17, then things would have been different come the time of Judges after Joshua's death. Quote number three, it can be asserted with clarity that the, despite the positive picture of Joshua's leadership in this book, that its effects were short-lived. Israel needed godly leaders to depend on God or it would fall into apostasy. Almost no judge after Joshua provided such leadership in the way that Moses and Joshua had done. Rubbish. And here's why I know that. Joshua ascribed to a form of government that God had expected all along. And it's this fancy little theological word called a theocracy. Now, we're all familiar with a democracy, which is a land governed by the people, right? 
there is a word, a form of government called a theocracy, which is mean a people, a nation, a government that is by God. You see, what Joshua had expected all along was that he would go through his entire reign being obedient, submissive to the Lord, and humble in his face so that he could point the people to their one true leader who was going to lead them after Joshua died. He gave them everything that they needed. He showed them examples. He gave them the law. He, 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 he exhorted them and told them to promise to keep the law. Don't turn from it. Always point towards the Lord. Always follow him as your leader, and you're going to be okay. Joshua expected all along that the nation's government, the nation of Israel, their government was going to be a theocracy. That God was going to be their leader. And you're going, are you sure about that? Absolutely, I'm sure about that. And here's how I know it can be done. It can be done because at the end of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, verse 31, it says, Israel worshiped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime. Hallelujah. Huh? And during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua. Oh my goodness, Joshua died and the people still followed the Lord. Turn the page. The next book. Judges chapter 1. After the death of Joshua, what do the Israelites do? Oh no, we don't have anybody to follow. No. The Israelites inquired of the Lord. And the Lord spoke. The Lord answered them that Judah is to go and fight. I have handled land. The people inquired of the Lord, just as Joshua had led them to do. It worked. He was the, he was the perfect illustration of a godly leader. He had taken his whole life, his whole time with them, and he had pointed them to God as their leader. And for a short time at least... They followed God as their leader. The theocracy was a success for a short time. For at least one generation that followed Joshua. Until Judges tells us that the generation that knew Joshua and all of the works that had been done through him by God in taking of the promised land. When that generation died and there was no one that remembered all those miraculous signs that God did, then the next generation turned away from the Lord. The theocracy failed, not because there wasn't a godly leader, a human, a man standing there dictating what people should do. The theocracy failed is because people turned away from their leader, God. In humility, in humility, Submission and obedience. Joshua appointed people to God as their leader. Over and over. So when he died, they would follow him. And it could have been so good. It could have been perfect. But people decided that they wanted to follow their own way. In fact, you read over and over again in the book of Judges. People did was right in their own eyes. They decided, no, we're, we're going to be the leader now. And over and over again, people disobeyed the Lord. They turned from their leader, the one that Joshua pointed them towards. The truth is that Joshua, in the way that he led, 
in his godly attributes, in showing them God to be their leader. He foreshadowed, he modeled, as we've done in the past, in all of the other past messages series, he modeled what Jesus would come to do for us now in the age of our Lord, in the New Testament. He foreshadowed the same thing, the ultimate godly leader. We talked, we talked about before that Jesus was a better Moses. Jesus was a better Joshua. He was a better godly leader with using the same attributes. With humility, with submission, with obedience. And you're going, wait a second, Jesus was humble and submissive and obedient? Oh, yeah. Read the Gospels. I mean, let's start with Jesus' humility. Let's start in John chapter 12. Jesus says, I haven't spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I've said. That's humility. He doesn't speak on his own authority. He doesn't speak to make himself known. He speaks to make God the Father known. I know that this command is eternal life, so the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father tells me. John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on His own, but only what He sees the Father doing. Jesus constantly humbling Himself to God the Father's preferences, to His words. He only does and He only speaks what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. John chapter 5, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear. My judgment is just because, because I don't seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. So if the humility of Joshua was good, the humility of Jesus is perfect. He only sought all the time, in every aspect, in every situation, to do the will of God. He never intended, never set himself above God the Father, humbling himself before him. He also submitted and, and, and obeyed him. We read in John chapter 8, Jesus said, whenever you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own. But just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He hasn't left me alone because I always do what pleases him. That's obedience. I always, can we say that? I would love to be able to say that. I always do, God, what you, what you want me to do. Jesus did it. He was the better Joshua. He was fully obedient. Luke chapter 22, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus' submission to God the Father, his obedience to him. In fact, Jesus amplifies God's sole sovereign authority in all things in his final prayers in the garden. Do you remember that? When, God, when In the end of John, John chapter 17, when Jesus gets down on his knees and he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, he prays for you and I, and he begins by saying this prayer in John chapter 17, verse 3, Lord, this is eternal life that they may know, not me, God, this is my eternal this is eternal life that they may know you. The one and only true God, the one that you have sent, Jesus Christ. And then later on in John chapter 17, I made whose name known? 
not Jesus's. He made Yahweh's name known. And he continues to make it known, he says, so that the love that you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. In fact, Jesus wanted us to know the Father so desperately that he left the Father's side. And just as we are about to celebrate at Christmas, he left the Father's side and came in the flesh as a human being to be with people so that he could show us, show them the Father. John chapter 14, Jesus said to him, I've been, I've been among you, talking to Philip, have I been among you all this time and you do not know me? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can I say to you, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The word I speak to you, I don't speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. In humility, obedience, submission, Jesus' soul purpose his ministry was to show us the father because humanity couldn't understand the father we couldn't fathom the father jesus came to show to to give us the 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 perfect um, example the perfect illustration of what god the father is he wanted us so desperately to know god the father You know, he didn't come to selfishly create a following for himself. What he came is to create a following for God the Father. He spent his entire life and his ministry pointing people to be humble, to be submissive, to be obedient, just like him, to honor God. Just like Joshua. And you know what else he did just like Joshua? That made him the better Joshua? Just like Joshua? When Jesus died, he didn't leave a successor. He didn't leave a successor. He didn't appoint anybody else after him. In fact, one of the verses that we read so regularly that we may overlook some of these attributes of this verse in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, we recognize that Jesus points to God as a, here it is again, the theocracy. We're making full circle back here. Just as what Joshua tried to do and was failed, Jesus said, no, this is the way that's supposed to be. Remember, I'm the better Joshua. I'm the new Yeshua. I'm pointing you to a theocracy. This is the way that it should have been then. This is the way that it is now. Matthew 28. Jesus came near, and he said to his disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Godhead. The supreme leader, the authority, the theocratic leader in all of humanity, in all of creation. Go and baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. What all did Jesus command us? Obey God. Be submissive to Him. Humble your hearts before Him. And remember, oh my goodness, here's the rain. Here's the theocratic rain right here. And therefore remember, what's that last line? I am with you always to the end of the age. There's our leader. Jesus didn't appoint the disciples to be His successors. 
He didn't appoint his disciples to go and make followers of disciples. He appointed his disciples to go and make sure that you're constantly pointing people to do this very thing that I've told you to do. That God's in control, that God's the leader now. This is a theocracy. You know, and over and over and over again, oh my goodness, we get this wrong. We want so badly for there to be a human being of flesh and blood to follow them. We want to rest on every word that a man or a woman says in the flesh. And God is saying, no, I am with you. I've given you my Holy Spirit. I've given you my presence. I am in charge. I am your leader. Submit to me. So for once, why don't we put down the books that mere humans are writing? Why don't we turn off the television that all of these these church leaders are preaching and speaking about. And let's turn to the Lord. Let's turn to our leader. Let's get on our knees and pray to him. Listen to him. Let's read his word. This is our leader. It's not the person standing on this platform. It's surely not me. In fact, what I hope to do is exactly what Joshua did. I hope to continue to point each one of you and myself regularly to God as our leader. The Jesus as the perfect example of that leadership. You don't need my opinion. You don't need my suggestions. You don't need my preference. You don't need my explanation. You don't need my wisdom. Nor do you need from any other human being. I don't care what they write. I don't care how many times they're on TV. Everything that you need Jesus has given us, and he's shown it to us, and he's established the perfect and never-ending theocracy. God is now leading. God is here, just as Jesus said, I'm with you always to the end of the age. When we gather around Christ's table, we proclaim that. Jesus said that you remember my death, you remember my crucifixion, until I come again. If he comes again, that means that he's not dead. He's just away for a while. But his presence is still here. The king is on his throne. The king is reigning. What Joshua had tried to do, and had hoped to do, to the people of Israel, Jesus did perfectly. He established the reign of God. That's why we call it the day of our Lord. Just as we are in today. Jesus was perfectly humble. He was perfectly submissive. He was perfectly obedient. And he exhorted every human being that followed him to do the same. Be humble before the Lord. Be obedient to him. Be submissive to him. Remember that he reigns. You don't need a self-help book. You don't need a New York Times best-selling author to tell you how to live. You don't need an Emmy Award-winning TV show to explain to you how to, how to live your life, how to be the better you. You don't need 
You don't even need us to be mediators between God and you. Because of Christ and because of what he did on the cross, he has, he has created the, the, the perfect union between each one of us, souls, and God the Father. We have perfect access, each one of us the same. Each one of us has access to God's word. Each one of us has access to communication with the Lord in prayer. Each one of us has access to the Spirit of God to speak to us so that he can, he can speak in us and through us and that we can listen to him and be obedient to him. We don't need a judge. We don't need a king. We don't need a president. We don't need a pastor. What we need is to be humble, obedient, submissive to Almighty God just as Jesus Christ was unto death. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we take this cup, as we take this bread, Lord, that we remember what Jesus came to do, what Jesus has done, and what he continues to do, Lord, in reigning as Lord and Savior. We thank you, Father, for his broken body, broken for each one of us to forgive us of our sins, to pay the penalty of our sins. Lord, so that you could be our king and we could be your subjects and we could be, we could be in your presence in your kingdom. We thank you for the blood, Lord, that paid the price of death for each one of us so that we could live forever, Lord, with you in your kingdom as you as our leader, as our king. Father, forgive us whenever we place mere human beings on pedestals, when we look to other things, other people, other forms of media and resources other than you as our leader, we recognize, Father, that they all too will fail. But there is only one who has never failed and never will fail us, and that is you, our God. We praise you, Father. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ for his crucifixion, for his death, his burial, his resurrection, so that we too who are in Christ enjoy those same things in the kingdom of God. It's in Christ I pray. Amen. Let's eat together.